Our Old Testament reading comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 11. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and let us go down and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A reading from the book of Acts. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome. Both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. The word of the Lord. This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have you been with me so long and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Who, how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? And the words that I say to you I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work? Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, 
because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world does not, cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I, I live, you will also live. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise you, Lord Christ. Father, on this Pentecost Sunday, we are so aware of what a generous Father you are and all the many good things, um, the good gifts that you have poured out on us. And we uh, do pray that you would continue to fill us and empower us through your Spirit and um, give us ears this morning to hear your voice and lead us, Lord, we pray. And we ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. Well, thank you again uh, for being with us on uh, this Pentecost Sunday. It's always a, a joy to uh, celebrate uh, Pentecost uh, together. Um, this uh, past uh, Wednesday night, uh, we had a gathering here at Church of the Cross uh, for um, the students who have gone through um, a year-long uh, confirmation class. Um, the confirmation service, um, when the students will be confirmed, will actually be in the fall. Uh, but we had this time of celebration, sort of uh, looking back on this last year and their class and an opportunity to pray for them and bless those students. And so uh, Pete uh, was there with Pam Kesky, um, who um, helped him lead uh, the confirmation time. And then the parents of the different confirmation students uh, were there. And uh, we had an opportunity as parents to share how we've seen God at work in our, um, in our kids over this last year. Uh, Pete and Pam both shared um, some vision and, and encouragement uh, to those who've gone through the confirmation process. And then we ended with a really powerful moment where the students sort of uh, stood in the middle of the room and the parents um, surrounded them, uh, which maybe sounds kind of intimidating, but we surrounded them with blessings and prayers. Um, and uh, again, really a, a great time. And as I was there, I was struck by the question, um, it was you know, just very clear, like, we want them to believe this, right? I mean, they are affirming their belief um, as, after going through the confirmation process, but there was such a sense of among the parents, among Pete and Pam, of, we want you to stay with Jesus. It is our hope that you will continue to live for him and to follow him. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking, why do we want that? I mean, that should be kind of an obvious question, but for whatever reason, that struck me, right? Why is this such a huge desire that's coming out in this time that's being heard in the prayers um, that we are praying for them, right? And it hit me, you know, it's not because, you know, as parents, it looks bad if our kids don't believe the same thing. I mean, maybe some parents think that way. I don't think that's the way our parents, you know, we were thinking as parents, like, oh, it's embarrassing, you know, if they don't continue in the faith, Right? It's not like you know, our church is ranked and we get a better ranking depending on how many kids you know, stick with their faith after confirmation. Right? It's not that Pete gets a promotion depending on how many kids stay with their um, you know, faith. I probably shouldn't even throw that out there as an idea uh, for Pete. Right? But I mean, that's not why, right? Why is it that that's what we want? Because we know Jesus. Right? We know what it is to live a life in Christ and we want that 
for our kids. That is our desire because we've experienced his work. We know his grace. And so as we were expressing that desire, we also, I hope, I believe, were empowering the students in that. As parents shared, here's what I see in your life. Here's what I see God doing in your life. I believe that was empowering for the students as Pete and Pam shared a vision of here's why we want you to continue to follow Jesus as we prayed for them. So I felt like at that night there were gifts being given to those students and actually gifts being given to one another. Stay strong in the faith. Continue to live for Christ. And I wonder if there was a similar dynamic. I think there probably was um, on the night where this uh, reading from John took place, on the night before Jesus died. When he gathered with his disciples, as many of you are aware, if you read through the Gospel of John, there's an extended time of teaching, um, uh, some dialogue that Jesus has with his disciples on that night before he dies. And clearly, Jesus wants them to believe. He is with them, and he wants them to continue in the faith. You can hear that in this section. You can um, read it when you read through John 14, 15, 16, 17. You hear his desire. Stay with me. Continue to believe in me. Don't lose faith. This whole section begins with Jesus saying, do not let your hearts be troubled, right? Stay strong in the faith. And like that Wednesday night um, that we had, Jesus is encouraging them to believe, but he's also equipping them. He's giving them things that will help them in their belief, that will continue to empower them in their lives as disciples. So I want to consider, what does Jesus give them? What does Jesus give us, right, as we are his disciples today? What do we receive from the Lord? But the first thing I just want to say is Jesus wants them to believe. Jesus wants us to believe. And maybe that's a little obvious. You say, okay, I mean, that's Jesus' thing, right? I mean, he wants us to believe. He wants us to have hope and faith. Of course he does. But I think sometimes, especially perhaps when we're facing a a season where it's especially challenging to our faith, where we feel like we're facing into barriers to our faith, we may actually have a hard time believing sometimes that Jesus wants us to believe. I don't know if you've prayed this prayer. I have sometimes where I've actually said to the Lord, Lord, I mean, do you even want me to follow you? (laughs) Because it feels like you're making it really hard to be a follower of you, and I would think you'd make it easier for me, right? And again, think about what's happening this night. Jesus has told them he's going away, right? And they're full of, right, they're distraught about this, right? They're confused. How could this be? Why does he keep talking about him going away? He actually says to them, it's better for me to go away, which is really confusing for them to hear him say that. He's also told them, you're going to actually, you know, um, scatter and not honor me um, when I go to the cross. He tells uh, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And imagine how hard that must have been for Peter to hear it, but imagine what it must have been like for the other disciples. Like, Peter's going to deny you three times? Like, he's the most courageous of all of us all. He's the one who often steps up, right? And yet, we're being told that there's going to be a denial of you, that there's going to be a scattering, that one of the disciples, Judas, will actually betray you. And so we can imagine their faith being shaken, right? And Jesus is allowing them to feel that shaking. He's allowing them to feel that trial, to experience that trial. But he's making it clear to them, I want you to grow stronger. It's not my desire that this trial would destroy your faith, that actually it would strengthen your faith. And he says the same thing to us, right? I want you to believe. How does he equip us in our belief? Well, look at the, the passage. It begins with Philip saying to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Um, Just a few verses before this, Jesus has said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then he says to the disciples, and you know the Father. But it seems like Philip's hearing that, and he's thinking, well, yeah, I guess we know the Father, but we haven't seen him. I want to see the Father. 
Maybe Philip's thinking of Moses, you know, when Moses asked to see the glory of God, if you remember that moment, and God actually sort of hides Moses in this cleft of a rock and passes by with his glory, and Moses is overwhelmed by the glory of God. And maybe Philip is thinking, I want a moment like that, right? I want a moment like the Israelites had when the, when the power of God and the glory of God came down on the mountain when the law was given, right, which has some connection to the day of Pentecost, right? Maybe Philip's thinking about that. That's what I want, right? And the Lord, Jesus, replies with some correction here, right? A, a bit of a rebuke. But notice he's not correcting Philip's desire. He's not saying like, Philip, why would you want to see the Father? No, Philip's desire is a great desire. He wants closeness with the Lord. That's exactly what Jesus wants. He wants to experience God. He has a great desire to see the Father. I mean, it's beautiful, isn't it? That he says, that would be enough for us, right? The call of his heart is, I just want to see the Father, right? That, that's just what I want. And so Jesus is honoring his desire, but he's saying, you actually have seen the Father, right? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, right? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. I think actually what Philip is needing correction on, sometimes we need correction on, is that he has divided too much the Father and Jesus, Right? Now, we affirm three persons of the Trinity. Next week is Trinity Sunday, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Right? Three unique persons, but one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, completely and totally unified. Right? And so Jesus is making clear to Philip, look, I am completely unified with the Father. And as a matter of fact, over these last three years, if you have seen me, if you have learned from me, if you have grown in me, you've been experiencing the Father. You've seen the Father. You've received the work of the Father in you. And again, sometimes I think we need the same correction. I think sometimes we differentiate too much the Father and the Son. And again, we can celebrate the three persons of the Trinity, but to remember the complete and total unity, right? And maybe we don't actually express this way, but I think sometimes people have a little bit of that thinking, right? Like, you know, I love Jesus. He's so kind. You know, he's friendly. He's welcoming. But the Father, I don't know. He makes me a little nervous, right? And Jesus would say to you, if you love me, you love the Father, right? If you love the Father, you love me. I'm in the Father. The Father is in me. Or sometimes I think this, this type of thinking can come in where we say, well, the Old Testament, you know, the Old Testament God, I don't know about him, but the New Testament God, right, when Jesus shows up, then that, that's the one I like, right? And again, the God has always been Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for all eternity, right? We celebrate this day the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, and I'll say more about this in a minute, right? But we're not saying the Holy Spirit began on Pentecost, right? The Spirit has always been. God has always been Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? So we need to watch ways in which we divide the unity of the Lord, right? And rather, we need to instead celebrate the unity of God. And when we see Jesus, we're seeing the Father at work, right? This summer, we're going to do a series on the minor prophets, right? And I know what you're thinking. I said this the first service. You're thinking, I got to change my vacation plans because I was going to miss a Sunday, but I do not want to miss a minor prophet. I may be gone for Micah or something. Like, I can't miss that. Um, you really should be thinking that. We're going to have a great time. The minor prophets are going to be very fun uh, to look at um, and, uh, and learn more about. So I'm excited to restudy uh, many of the, the minor prophets, right? But I can tell you this right now. It's a little preview. When we're studying the minor prophets, you know who we're going to be learning about? Jesus, right? We don't look at the minor prophets and be like, oh, I wish we were learning about Jesus. No, right? Of course we learned about Jesus through the prophets. And we learned about the Father. And we learned of the Spirit. And so Jesus encourages Philip. Right? How does he in, 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 empower him in his faith? How does he empower us? First and foremost, he gives us himself. He says, you know God as you know me. Believe me, he says. Believe me, verse 11, that I am in the Father and the Father is in me or else believe on account of the works themselves. 
right? If anybody doesn't have to add nor else, it's Jesus. Jesus should just be able to say, believe me that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me, period, right? He has earned their belief, right? They have spent three years seeing, right, the mighty works of God um, uh, through Jesus, seeing his character, right, seeing his honesty. Jesus should just be able to say, believe me, right, that I'm in the Father. And they should say, yes, of course we believe you, Jesus, because you're Jesus, right? But Jesus in his generosity says, or believe on account of the works themselves. He's reminding them, as you have seen me, as you have seen my heart, as you have seen my work, you have seen the work of the Father. How else do you explain these works I've done? Right? Not just the miracles, although I think certainly that includes the miracles that he's done. Right? I mean, they've seen Lazarus raised from the dead. They've seen Jesus walk on the water. Right? They've seen you know, the, the feeding of the 5,000 um, with a few loaves of bread right? and, and a fish. And so it's about the miracles, but it's also about how else do you explain the love that I've shown to you? How else do you explain the wisdom that I've shown to you, the integrity, the honesty, other than because I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Believe on account of the works themselves. And again, I think when we struggle in our faith, at times when we are overwhelmed maybe by doubts or overwhelmed by the barriers of faith that we run into, it's such good and, and, and in a sense an easy thing to do is just to turn and fix our eyes on Jesus, right? I mean, it's a bit of a Christian cliche, I know, but it really does make a difference when we're in those places of darkness to fix our eyes on Jesus and remember the gift that we have been given in Jesus, right? That we can know him. Right? That doesn't mean we don't struggle with faith, but he's with us in those struggles. He strengthens us. And that's the first place he goes. Right? Look at me, believe in me, trust in me. Pete uh, read this quote on um, Wednesday night um, from Frederick Beekner. Um, he uh, warned the kids. It's, it's, it's a, maybe a slightly corny quote, but it's really beautiful. So I'm going to read it to you. Um, Frederick Beekner is a Christian writer, thinker. He says this, A Christian is one who points at Christ and says, I can't prove a thing. But there's something about his eyes and his voice. There's something about the way he carries his head, his hands, the way he carries his cross, the way he carries me. And we can fix our eyes on Jesus, and he gives us faith. So that's the first place he goes, right? Look at me, Philip. Know that you have experienced God if you have walked with me. But then he gives them vision. He actually says, and here's what I'm going to do. Here's what you have to look forward to. Vision gives us faith. Right? When someone says, I believe in you, I believe this is what God is calling to, to you, you to, I've seen this in you, I can see the things that God will do through you, that gives us faith, doesn't it? it? It strengthens us in belief, and that's what Jesus does with his disciples. Once again, he's done it many times throughout his ministry with them. And he says to them some pretty amazing things. Right? If it wasn't Jesus, we'd probably have a hard time believing this could possibly be true. But he says to them, I say to you, whoever believes in me, will also do the works that I do. Now, that's hard to believe right there, right? We're like, really? And then he says, greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father, right? Jesus, who has just said, you've seen my works, and now I'm calling you to do even greater works. All right, now, what do we do with this, okay? I do not believe this means that Jesus is saying, you also will die for the sins of the whole world, right? And you will defeat sin and death. Clearly, in that sense, he's not saying you will do greater works, right? Jesus has just said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, right? Jesus is not denying his uniqueness and the works that he did that only he could do, right, as the Messiah, as our Savior. But I believe, actually, um, uh, Dale Bruner puts it this way, a Bible commentator. He says, pretty much everyone, when they read this, understand that Jesus is speaking quantitatively rather than qualitatively. That he's using greater in the sense of expansion, of spread, 
right? I don't think it's a denial. I mean, again, we see miracles being done through the disciples. We see amazing things being done throughout church history by the people of God. So I'm not denying that. But I believe the heart of this is you will do greater things and that you will continue this ministry. It will go out into all the world, right? It's a pretty small group of disciples of Jesus at this point. But he's saying through you, through this small group, through my church, my body, actually the good news of who I am, the gospel that sets people free and brings forgiveness of sins will go out everywhere, right? It will expand. That that's the greater work that the church does. And we celebrate that on Pentecost, don't we, right? That on that day as the Holy Spirit was poured out on those first followers of Jesus, that they get up and the Spirit empowers them to speak in different languages, right? Why does he do that? Well, because there are people gathered there of different languages, right? But the message is very clear. This is a message for all the world. This is the good news for the whole world, right? It's not limited to one people group. It's for everybody. And that's the greater work. And we can read this and we can say, Jesus was telling the truth, right? Greater works have been done. Even as we think about how are we reading this right now, how are we able to enter into and experience what the disciples experienced on that night? It was because the Holy Spirit right, inspired the, the Apostle John, who was there, to write this, right, to bring to mind what Jesus had said. And we continue to receive from the living Word of God. And he used his disciples, right, his first followers, to do that. So that's the greater work. And we, again, we see it, and that's a vision for us as well, that we get to be part of the church. We get to be part of continuing to, to share Jesus through our, our words, or through our actions, through our prayers, that we continue that work. And he follows that up with, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified by the son, in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Again, an incredible vision. Right? Keep asking for things in my name. Live in my authority, as I talked about last week, under my authority, and I will work through you. Now, I realize as we read this, it brings up questions about, well, what about when this doesn't seem to happen? What about unanswered prayer? And those are, are good questions. But I want to just encourage you in today is just to really hear this and receive it. Again, I'm not denying that sometimes we pray and we're confused why this, this promise doesn't seem to come true. But I encourage you to continue to live into that submission to the Lord, to living into what does it mean to pray in His name, to, to pray under His authority, and to continue to ask of the Lord. Continue to ask great things of him, to receive that vision, to seek him, right? Bring your unanswered prayers to him and continue to bring those before him. But again, there's a beautiful invitation here that I believe as we live into that, right, we'll grow in faith. We're empowered in our faith, in our belief, through that vision that Jesus gives us there, right? So we have Jesus gives us himself, he gives us a vision, and he gives us the spirit of God. Right? And more specifically, he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. All right, so let's focus in on that word helper there. Right? What, what does Jesus mean when he says another helper? And this is one of those um, words, this is one of those verses that you can look at different translations. If you're curious you know, how translations differ, and you can look at some of the different words that are translated helper there. The word is literally paraclete, uh, which means one who comes alongside. Right, so that's kind of a mouthful, so people give it um, different, um, or translations give different words there. But that's literally what it means, right? One who comes alongside, one who is a friend, one who is a helper. Sometimes it's translated counselor. And I've heard people point out that counselor actually captures sort of two different elements of the work of the Holy Spirit. The counselor, you know, we think of like a therapist, of someone who gives us good counsel, right? And the Spirit of God certainly does that. He helps us, he brings healing, he brings comfort, he brings encouragement, a counselor also can be used of like a legal counselor, right? Of someone who defends us, someone who represents us, right? And the Spirit does that as well, right? He is like a counselor in the sense that he is our advocate, right? He stands 
with us. He is for us. Whatever the case, right, however we translate that word, helper, encourager, comforter, counselor, it's a person. Do you hear that's a personal word? That's not a word you give to an impersonal force. If there's any way we think of the Spirit of God as sort of this impersonal force rather than a person, right, let the words of Jesus here, again, bring some correction there, right? And Jesus specifically says he will give you another helper, right? So that means there's a first helper, right? This is another helper, and who's the first helper? It's Jesus. Jesus is saying, look, that's why Jesus can say to him, it's better if I go away, right? I have been a helper. I have been a paraclete to you. I've been one who has walked alongside you. But if I ask the Father, he will give you another helper. He will give you the very Spirit of God who will be with you, right? He dwells with you and will be in you, that you will receive the Spirit. And that verse there, again, the end of that third paragraph, dwells with you and will be in you. That also reminds us, again, that on Pentecost, it wasn't that that was the first time that the disciples experienced the Spirit of God in their midst. They powerfully experienced God's Spirit on Pentecost, right? And we're filled and, you know, tongues of flame and rushing wind was happening. So I don't want to diminish how powerfully the Spirit worked there. But Jesus says right here, he dwells with you. He's been with you. How else could the disciples go out and cast out demons in Jesus' name, right? And heal people praying in the name of Jesus, right? They did it under the authority of Jesus, but they did it in the power of the Spirit, just like Jesus worked in the power of the Spirit. And so he's encouraging them, right? You know the Spirit, actually. You'll receive and experience the Spirit in new ways, but you've already had the Helper with you. But there's going to be a greater outpouring of the Helper. I think this actually applies to us as we think about sort of our life in the Spirit, that we can know the Spirit, We can grow in the Spirit, but we can also experience new infilling of the Spirit. It's not an either-or. I believe, as as most Christians do, that when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, whatever that looks like, you are filled with the Holy Spirit, that you receive the Spirit of God. To be a Christian is to be Spirit-filled, that He dwells with us and indwells us. But it's also true that we can grow in sort of receiving and living in the power of the Spirit. We have, we have moments in prayer, moments in our lives where we fear a special indwelling and empowering of the Spirit. Paul in the book of Ephesians says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. But many translations, right, really the more accurate way to translate that based on the tense is keep on being filled in the Holy Spirit. That the filling, the indwelling, the empowering of the Holy Spirit is not a one-time thing, but an ongoing thing. So again, we can maybe have a Pentecost moment where we feel powerfully the work of the Spirit, but we can have many Pentecost moments. But that, in a sense, is what we're invited to as Christians, to continue to seek the, the helper and his indwelling, his empowering presence with us. Right? We have so much of that, uh, that final paragraph, that relational language is so strong. Right? My um, brother, uh, our bishop, Stuart, uh, he often encourages me, and I've heard him encourage other people. Verse 20 is just a great verse just to, to live in. It's a great verse, perhaps, to say as you go to bed at night or as you wake up in the morning, right, that Jesus said, I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. It kind of makes your head spin a little bit. Like, wait, wait a second, what? So it's a good one to say over and over again, to memorize, to live in. It's pretty mystical, right? Um, uh, what exactly is going on there? But all we can say for sure is it talks about an intimacy, right? A presence of the Lord, that Jesus is in the Father, and Jesus is in us, and we are in him. Therefore, we are in the Father, right? And the Spirit makes this possible. The Spirit of God gives us that intimacy, So again, we can celebrate, as we did last week, that Jesus has ascended into heaven, that he sits at the right hand of the Father, and yet we can also celebrate that the very presence of Jesus indwells us, 
and we receive his presence as we come to the table and receive communion, right? That his presence is poured out in baptism, which we had two baptisms this morning. That the Spirit of God, the Helper, brings the presence of Jesus to us. And so on this day that we um, celebrate the receiving of gifts, the ways that Jesus strengthens us in our belief, um, it's a great day to affirm our baptismal vows for all of us who have been baptized. Anytime we have a baptism Sunday, we affirm together and remember the vows that we've made, which um, in our liturgy is basically the Apostles' Creed. But I want to encourage you. Again, I'm sorry we don't have baptisms in the second service. They were awesome at the first. I'm sorry you missed them, but we have more upcoming. Uh, we have uh, baptisms in future services that are coming up, so we're looking forward to that. But I want to encourage you on this day to, to remember and to celebrate that baptism is a gift, a gift that Jesus um, uh, commissioned, that Jesus thought of. Right? Is it a gift that if you have been baptized, you can receive that gift? Again, we were only baptized once, but you can receive that your entire life. That sense the life of a Christian is continuing to open that gift that was given in baptism, of union with Christ, of forgiveness. So let's pray, and then we'll affirm our baptismal vows. Father, I thank you for the gift of your spirit. We thank you, Lord, that we can know you. We thank you, Lord, uh, for your um, just generosity in so many ways. We thank you, Lord, that we can be um, your body. May we continue to live in just the immensity, uh, the awesomeness um, of uh, that truth, Lord. And uh, again, we thank you and praise you in, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I invite you to stand. We have a little jumping around in our um, bulletin, but if you go to the baptism conf- baptismal confession, the pa- top of page nine, uh, we'll say that um, together. Do you believe and trust in God the Father? I do. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Do you believe and trust in Jesus Christ? I do. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. Do you believe and trust in the Holy Spirit? I do. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Man, you can sit as we continue with the prayers of the people.